in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 14. As Tim said, this will be the last in our series on discipleship. If you want to know what's coming next, come to lunch, and we'll tell you all about it. So uh, we are going to read a passage which, at least in my Bible, has the subtitle, The Cost of Being a Disciple. That's what we're going to talk about today, but we're actually going to back up a little. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter. We're going to read these stories that take place before Jesus gives this pronouncement, before he talks to people about what it means to be his disciple. So follow along with me. I'm going to read Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed. For although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out in the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and examine the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king's about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send the delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's, neither, it's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, 
let them hear. So, story starts out at a dinner party. Jesus is eating with a bunch of Pharisees and teachers law, religious leaders. Frankly, he's eating with a bunch of people like me. Guys who get paid to know the Bible, guys who study the scripture, who take it really seriously. He's eating with them, and there's a guy there. My Bible says it's a normal swelling. Your Bible might say dropsy. It's a, it's a disease. It, the guy looks like the elephant man. His limbs, his torso, everything are swollen up. Like, it's really obvious. And Jesus turns to the, his, all the guys he's seated with, all of these religious people, and says to them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, that actually is a very hot topic in the day. In like 1400 BC, Moses writes the law. And the law, one of the Ten Commandments says, honor the Sabbath, do no work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath goes from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. So for that 24-hour period, it says, do no work. And it gives one example. It says, don't go collect firewood, build a fire and cook food. That's work. Do that on Friday. Get the fire, build it, make the fire, cook your food, get all that ready on Friday. And God says, he will protect your food. You know, there's no refrigerators or anything. God says, if you'll prepare your food on Friday, it'll still be good on Saturday. So basically, cook on Friday and eat leftovers on Saturday. But that's the only example Moses gives. Don't work, don't, don't cook food. Now, obviously, work's a lot broader than that. So for centuries, remember, Jesus is 1,400 years after Moses. For centuries, they have been debating, what does this mean? Where, what, what is work? When does it count as work? When doesn't it? And so Jesus asked them a question that, that lots of people would have asked. Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? And obviously, you can tell what his answer is because he heals them. And then he turns to them and he asks them this question. Well, if your kid or one of your animals fell in a ditch, wouldn't you get it out? Now, here's the thing. The right answer to that question is no. The rabbi, I mean, the Bible's not the only book from the ancient world that we have. We have tons of writings from the ancient world. The rabbis in Jesus' day had said, if a, if a kid falls in a ditch or a pit or a well or anything, if an animal falls, if somebody gets stuck and the only way you're gonna get them out is for you to work, quote unquote, if you're gonna have to work to get them out, then they said, leave them there, unless they're going to die, right? If they are in imminent danger of death, then you can get them out. Otherwise, leave them there. They say, throw them some food. If it's cold, toss them a blanket. But leave them there till the sun goes down Saturday night. Then you can get them out, okay? Now, let me ask you, seriously, imagine you lived in this world and you're at home Saturday morning, and your kid comes to you and goes, Dad, the cow fell in the ditch, and she, she can't get up the, the wall. What do we do? Okay, the right answer is nothing. Throw her some hay, right? Maybe if you can toss a blanket on her without going down there, do it. That's the right answer in their world. Let me ask you, what would you do? I mean, seriously, I know what I'd do, right? I'd be like, any of the neighbors looking? Don't tell anyone about this. And then I get down and I get the cow out of the ditch. The right answer to this question is, oh, no, of course not. I imagine we're going to lunch, right? And you're preparing some food and you drop a couple pieces of pizza, right? Now, if everyone is standing around you, what do you do? Oh, you pick it up and you throw it away, right? It's been on the floor. What if there's nobody else in the kitchen? 
five second rule, put it back on the plate, come back out. Now, what do you do when you walk out with that plate and somebody goes, did that fall on the floor? Do you know, what do they say? When Jesus says to them, hey, if, you're, if your donkey fell in the ditch, you'd get it out, wouldn't you? The right answer is heavens no. The law forbids it. They have nothing to say. Because what are you going to say to, did that pizza fall on the floor? Everyone does this. The rabbis say, this is wrong. It goes against scriptures. Now, again, the scriptures don't say this. The scriptures say, don't work. You've got to figure out what that means. But the rabbis have determined that that means you leave the animal, you leave the person down there until Saturday night unless they're going to die. But everyone gets their kids and their animals out of ditches. Again, we have lots of writings from this time. They complain about it. No one does this. Do you see what Jesus is doing? They're mad at him because he just healed someone on the Sabbath. And what the rabbis say is, if they're going to die, okay, you can help them. Right? If somebody comes to you and his arm's cut off, fine, you can put a tourniquet on it. But that's it. Don't do anything else. Anything else would be work. Jesus has just healed someone in front of them. And they're upset because it doesn't meet their definition of work. And he turns around and he says to them, well, wouldn't you do this? And the right answer is no, and everyone does it. Of course they do it. If your kid falls in a ditch, you go down and get him out. You know, sorry, son. Wow, you picked the wrong day to stumble. (laughs) You'll be, uh, you wanted me to toss you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something, you know? When it gets dark out, then we can get you out. The religious leaders say one thing and do another privately. And then look at what he does to him next. Verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the tables, places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. And the parable is, hey, when you come somewhere, don't sit at the, the table. When you come to a wedding, if you see an empty spot next to the bride, don't go sit there. You're going to get kicked out. Right? Just go sit at a table off to the side. So when the bride and groom are coming around, they're like, what are you, you're not at table 13, you're at table 2. Come on up over here. What Jesus is saying is not controversial. He's actually quoting the scriptures. Let me read to you Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among his great men. It's better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. Jesus is taking a proverb from the scriptures and weaving a story around it. Everyone listening there knows scripture. They're all Pharisees or experts in the law. They're all people who know the scriptures, who say that they live by the scriptures, who are mad at Jesus whenever he doesn't meet their definition of what it means to follow the scriptures. And Jesus has just told them something that they all have to go, oh, yes, of course. I mean, of course, it's in the Bible. The rabbis teach that. Everyone knows this. And what are they doing? When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, they all say, oh, yeah. They would all absolutely say, oh, yes, the Bible teaches that. Of course, of course, that's what we should do. And no one's doing it. Right there, do you see what he's doing to them? He tells them this hypothetical question, right? Hey, you know, if this happened, you would, you would do it, wouldn't you? And nobody says anything. They're not going to incriminate themselves one way or another, right? Nobody's going to say, oh, no, I'd never do that. And then somebody would be like, 
what? Your son told me you got a donkey out just last week. What are you talking about? They're going to keep quiet. Now he's telling a story that shows that they're all being hypocrites. Not just hypothetically, maybe last Saturday, but right now you're not obeying the scriptures. Then, verse 12, Jesus points to his host. Right? So you see, he's gone from this hypothetical question one day to, hey, look at all of you. Now he zeroes in on the main guy, the guy who invited him and who invited everybody else. The guy who was invited, all the religious guys, all the Pharisees, all the teachers of the law, all the people who take the Bible seriously to check this Jesus out because they don't think he takes the Bible seriously at all. And he says to them, when you give a luncheon, don't invite your friends and they're just gonna invite you back. Invite people that can't pay you back and then you'll be blessed. God will pay you back. And again, what Jesus is saying is not controversial. The law says this. The scriptures say when you're plowing your field, Leave the edges for the poor. When you go to Jerusalem for a festival, send off portions to the poor. Put things aside for the poor. He's saying to them what the Bible that they claim to revere says. And he's not doing it. He hasn't invited the poor. He hasn't saved spaces for other people. He's invited all of his powerful religious friends. Even though he would absolutely have to agree, oh yes, definitely, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know, if you have a banquet, you're supposed to set aside a portion for the poor. You're supposed to invite people who couldn't, wouldn't be able to do this. Absolutely. And he's not doing it. Jesus is just narrowing in on their, because they're hypocrites. They're mad at him for doing good on the Sabbath because it doesn't fit their definition. And he's saying to them, you don't obey your own definition. I mean, you've heard me say this before. One of the things Paul says in chapter two of Romans is God isn't gonna use the Bible to judge us. He's gonna use our own words. Every time somebody does something to you and it makes you mad and you're like, that's not right. They shouldn't have done that. And then you turn around and do it. When someone bails on you, they've said they'll come do something and at the last moment they bail on you and you say, how could they do that? They, 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 made a, they made an agreement. How could they just not show up? That's wrong. And then what happens later? Something comes up. There's an issue, and you bail on a commitment. You don't want to. You don't mean to. You're not a bad person. It's it just you didn't have a choice. God isn't gonna, doesn't need to use the Bible to point out that we're hypocrites. He can just use our own words. That's what Jesus is doing to these guys. Now, when you're at a dinner party, what happens when somebody starts saying really provocative things? What happens when somebody starts like zeroing in on someone, right, and going after them? Someone somewhere will try and change the subject, right? If you're at a family reunion and Cousin Larry launches into his conspiracy theory about how COVID is really from the aliens and they're just trying to distract us so we don't find them, right? Somebody is going to be like, hey, how about them Braves, huh? Anybody watch the game last night? You're going to try and distract people. Verse 15, when one of those at the table heard Jesus with Jesus heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now that is a statement that any Jew anywhere in history can agree with. There is zero controversy in that, blessed are those who will be with God in the, amen, right? Everybody, we're drawing everybody back together in something we can all agree on. Okay, maybe we're not sure about this Sabbath stuff. Maybe we're not sure about all these other things, but we can all agree on this one thing. 
And wow, does Jesus flip that one around on him. And he tells a story about a banquet with a bunch of people who were invited. Oh, absolutely, yes, we'll, we'll come. And then when the moment arrives, they bail. All of them, none of them come. And they've got good excuses. Like, they're, I've got a business deal. I've got, to, I've got to take care of this. I've got this issue at home I have to take care of. I've, I've got a, a family. Like, all of these are legitimate excuses. But they've said they'll come to this party, and now they're not coming. And do you notice, in each of Jesus' interaction with these guys before now, he's just put out there that they're hypocrites right? Like again, he's gone from hypothetical to you guys to you right there, right? But notice, they, they bail, right? The story doesn't end there. What happens when they bail? There are consequences this time. They bail. They're like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm sorry, I can't come. Their places get given away. The master of the house is like, you don't want to come, you don't want, you know, it's like, I, I, you know, no, I'm not going to come to this wedding. Fine. I'll give your place to someone else. Other people get their place. Do you notice what happens at the end? What the master says in the last verse, 24, of this story. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. He's ordering his servant not to let them in. And, you know, we're not sure. Banquets in this day and age, like a wedding would go at least three days, maybe as many as seven. Some people wonder if maybe these guys are going to try and come later. You know, if somebody invites you to a wedding, you live here in Atlanta, they invite you to a wedding here, it's like what, three or four hours out of your day? But if somebody invites you to a wedding in San Francisco, wow, that's three or four days out of your way. And it's expensive. And like some, you know, uh, some of the commentators are kind of like, you know what, maybe these guys are like, no, no, I can't come. They'll show up on day two or three, right? I don't want to spend three days there. I'll show up at the end and get the food and leave. And the master instructs his servants don't let any of these guys in, ever. Do you see how Jesus keeps narrowing this down? Now you've got hypocrisy. You've got people who said they'll do something and they won't do it. Oh, and now there are consequences. I mean, there were no consequences before. There were no consequences to these guys taking the, the nice seats or this guy not inviting other people. It just, like, it's just pointed out, hey, you don't, you don't live by what you say either. And now... There are going to be issues. And here, finally, we get to the passage in verse 25, the, the cost of being a disciple. You know, the, the gospel writers, they've got 33 years of Jesus' life. They've got three years of his active public ministry to draw from. And I think Luke puts this story about Jesus pointing out all these guys' hypocrisy right before this to, to set us up to get us ready. You got all of these people who say, oh, yes, yes, definitely. Yes, I, I obey the law, right? Oh, yes, yes, I'll come to the banquet. Oh, of course, I know what scripture says about having a humble place in the seat and all these people and, and all their hypocrisy. And now we get this story from Luke where Jesus turns to the crowd and wow, I mean, this, if this sounds harsh to you, it sounded harsh then too. Anyone who comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, I have good news and bad news for you on this passage. 
Um, the good news is that this is a very Hebrew way of speaking. When you are trying to say that one thing is much more important than the other, you say, oh, I love that, I, I hate that. Right? So Jesus will tell a parable about you can't serve two masters. Why? Because you'll love one and hate the other. Well, it, I mean, real, like, is that literally true? If you have two jobs, do you necessarily hate one of your bosses? No, but one of them's going to get priority. If you work morning shifts in one place and afternoon shifts in another, what happens when the morning guy asks you to come work Wednesday afternoon? One of those two jobs is going to get priority. You're going to say yes to him and no to the second one, or you're going to say no to him and yes to the second one. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I have to be your number one priority. I mean, we know Jesus didn't hate his mother. But one of the last things he ever said on the cross was he told, he's the oldest son, so he should take care of his mom. He says to his disciple, John, uh, obviously, I'm not gonna be able to do this for a couple days, take care of my mom for me, right? He doesn't say, oh, mom, I hate you, you're, you're dirt. He, no one gets crucified with him. When he says, you gotta carry your cross and come with me, no one does that, actually. In fact, when the soldiers come, he says to the soldiers to let all his disciples go. He's like, you don't have a problem with them, just let them go. It's me you want, let, let's go. But, so that's the good news. The good news is you don't have to literally hate everything. You don't have to literally go get crucified. The bad news is, wow, Jesus does say he absolutely comes first. He absolutely comes first in your life. If you are his follower and you ever have to choose between parents and him, you choose him. If you are his follower and you ever have to choose between spouse and him, you choose him. If you ever have to choose between job and him, you choose him. If you ever have to choose between your own life and him, you choose him. Always. And I don't just mean that in the dramatic, some guy puts a gun to your head. I mean that in the everyday selfishness that I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I know Jesus wants something else. And Jesus says, if you don't put me absolutely first, then don't say you're my disciples because you're a hypocrite. Because you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. You're saying you follow me, but you don't over here. You only follow me here. You'll follow me, in, you'll follow me when this happens, but you won't follow me when that happens. And then he tells them these stories about, hey, you need to think about this, right? He doesn't just leave them, make this pronouncement and walk on. Suppose you said, look, this is what life is like. If you're gonna build a tower, what do you do? You decide whether you can complete it. If you're gonna go to war, what do you do? You decide if you're gonna win. This is how life works. You decide ahead of time if you are going to commit yourself to this. Because you get halfway through with the tower and realize, I'm not really interested in this, and I don't have the money, and then you're going to look like an idiot. You're going to make such a fool of yourself. And wow, if you go to war with that attitude, you're going to get run over. Your country's going to get taken over, and you're going to get destroyed. This is how life works. You decide and you commit. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, then you commit to me first. Okay, now, I know what you're thinking, right? 
because you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking when I'm reading this. I want you to, is Jesus the Lord of your pocketbook? Ask yourself that question. Can Jesus tell you what to do with your money? Now, if you say yes to that, the fear that goes through my mind is that he's going to come to me and say, great, give it all to me, you go live under a bridge. There's one guy in the scriptures that Jesus says sell everything to. One guy. We know, we looked at it just the other day, feeding of the 5,000, that's 5,000 men, it's 5,000 heads of families. There's like 20,000 people out there. He did not say to a single one of those 20,000 people, sell everything you have. But that's our fear. Our fear is that if we give him control of everything in our life, that he's going to take it. And he's going to tell us to go do something horrible, to go live someplace terrible, to go have the, these, these awful experiences. One guy in the tens of thousands of people that Jesus interacted with, there is one guy. You're right. He could do that. When we say Jesus is Lord, then he is. He could say that to you. Your Lord could say to you, sell everything you have. And you would need to do that. But that doesn't really seem to be his way, given he speaks to tens of thousands of people and only tells one guy that. Like, I have said that to Jesus. Since I was 18 years old, I have said to Jesus, I will do anything you want. I will go anywhere you want. I live in a nice house in Dunwoody. I have more bedrooms than people. I have a car for every driver. I make a good salary. I just took my family to Disney World, okay? Because I asked God, okay, what should I do? My kids are still here, like everything. What, what should I do? I, I, who knows how many more years I've got this? Who knows how many more years I've got my whole family here? Everyone's growing up. Like, what, what should I do, Lord? How should I take advantage of this? And he said, you should go to Disney World. okay. I gave God all of my money, right? And God said, here, you need to go to Disney. Our confession is Jesus is Lord. Our confession is not Jesus is my friend. Our confession is not Jesus is my helper. Our confession is not even Jesus is our savior. Although all those things are true. He's absolutely our friend, our helper, and our savior. But what we say, what makes us his followers is that we follow him. We say Jesus is is Lord. That means your Lord gets to decide for you. And I have found in decades of saying to him, you are Lord, I will do whatever you say, that he's a really good Lord. He is kind and he is gentle. And when a guy comes up to him in the middle of a dinner party, and he knows he's going to get all sorts of problems for doing this. He reaches over to the guy. Do you notice he touched him? Again, this guy looks like the elephant man. When do you think the last time is somebody touched him? He doesn't have to touch him. He can just say it, and it happens. He goes over to the guy and touches him. 
and he's not the elephant man anymore. Can you imagine if you saw that? This guy comes in, everything's swollen up in the middle of a dinner party. You know, you can imagine how it gets quiet. And Jesus looks at everybody, he's like, so what do you think, guys? Can we do good on the Sabbath? And they're not going to say anything. They're not going to commit themselves. And he gets up and he goes over to the guy and he touches him. And all of his limbs go right in front of everyone. He's a really good master. He's a really good Lord. He is kind and he is gracious and he is merciful. But wow, he comes first. You know that saying, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He doesn't play second fiddle. He's not your co-pilot. He's not going to help you out. He's the pilot. You know, I tell people, Jesus is not your co-pilot going to land the plane when things get, you know, Jesus take the wheel, right? This is too hard for me. Jesus is the pilot. You are in the back serving meals. He decides where the plane goes. He decides when you're going to take off and where you're going to land. He decides what you're going to eat. That's his business. And he's so good. He's so kind. I mean, you read these stories. I just read an article from C.S. Lewis recently where people were talking about, you know, well, I like Jesus. He's a, he's a great moral teacher, but I, I don't think this Christianity stuff. And, and Lewis's response to that is, wow, nobody who ever met Jesus said, oh, this is a great moral teacher. They either adored him or they wanted to kill him. He was an object of terror to people or he was an object of, of love and adoration. He's so kind. He's so generous. He's so merciful. But he is Lord. So, two questions for you, depending on which camp you sit in. If you are not a Christian, if you, you, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're, you're here or you're watching on TV or whatever, but you do not say you follow Jesus, why not? Like seriously, what keeps you from being his disciple? Because Jesus says you ought to think about it, you ought to make a decision, and you ought, you ought to go and commit yourself to it. What? What are you waiting for? Like if you're waiting for all of your questions to get answered, wow, that's never going to happen. And, and frankly, that's never going to happen in a lot of life. If you think you've got quantum mechanics figured out, I would love to talk to you sometime. Because every time we turn on a new super collider, we figure out that we don't know squat about what's going on in the natural world. There's like a whole other realms out there. You're never going to get all your questions answered. And if you're waiting until you feel like you fully understand Jesus, he claims to be the infinite all-powerful God of the universe. You are never going to completely understand infinity and complete power. But do you understand that he's good and he's kind and he's generous and he's going to die for these people? All of these people who hated him, he is going to die for them. So if they will turn to him, they are in. If you're not a follower of Christ, what are you waiting for? What needs to happen for you to believe? Please come and tell me because I will pray for it. Seriously, if you're like waiting, okay, I need this. I need to understand this. This needs to be explained to me. This needs to happen. If you are waiting for something, wow, please come talk to me. I will glad, I'm not saying I get the answers, but I'll pray for it. God can show up and do that. If you do not know him, 
Wow, what are you, what are you waiting for? Do, do your little calculations like the guy with the tower. Figure it out. Do I, do I want to have someone as Lord of my life who is infinitely powerful and infinitely good or not? Do I just want to muddle through on my own? D- decide on that one. And if you are his follower, then is there anywhere in your life where Jesus is not Lord? Because again, he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He does not play second fiddle. He says, you must prioritize me. I have to be more important than your family. I've got to be more important than your career. I've got to be more important than your money. I've got to be more important than all these other things. Is there anywhere in your life where you know that Jesus is not Lord? Yep, he's Lord. Yep, I follow him here. I do this. I do this. I do, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Over here, I decide. That's mine. This little booklet came out when I was a student called My Heart Christ's Home, and it envisioned your life as a house. And the author said, you know, often we invite Jesus into our house, um, and gosh darn it, he starts rearranging the furniture, and he starts messing with stuff, and he starts going into rooms we don't want him going into, and he's in our kitchen, and he's moving things around, and then he starts moving walls. It's like, you don't need this room. It's like, I like that room. He's like, are there any locked doors in your house? Are there any doors in your house, right? Jesus, you can have, you, oh, the living room, dining room, kitchen, the bedrooms, the closets, the playrooms, that's all yours, but not the basement. Don't go through that door, that's mine. That room is mine. Is there anywhere in your life where Jesus is not Lord? Because he says he is. He says he is Lord. If you are his follower, then he is Lord. Is there anywhere in your life, if you are his follower, but you know you're not following in that place, you need to give that to him. You need to say to him, you are Lord. Again, whatever it is, you're Lord of my career, you're Lord of my finances, you're Lord of my kids, you're Lord of my job, you're Lord of my family, you're you're Lord of my time, whatever it is. We all have things in our life that are harder for us and things in our life that are easier for us. What are the places in your life where Jesus isn't Lord? So we're going to close by taking communion. Normally, I would pray us out of this, and then I'd pray us into communion. We're going to close by taking communion, and you're going to take it yourself. So again, normally we'd take it, we'd come back down, I would lead us. This is between you and the Lord. I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us. Are there any places that where you're not submitted to him? where he's not Lord. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to to speak to you, to show you that, to point it out. And when you see that, you need to repent. Remember that from last week when Brian Marvel spoke repent? It means change your mind. It doesn't mean change your emotions. It doesn't mean like it. It means decide, like these guys, the guy with the tower, the guy with going to war, decide. I am making you Lord of this area. Please help me. You know I'm going to take it right back again 30 seconds from now. But I am choosing. I'm changing my mind. Up until now, my mind has been this is mine. Now, my mind is this is yours. I'm going to ask God to do that. So I'm going to pray for us. And then if the worship team will come on back up, we'll get ready. Everyone go to the tables. There's tables in all four of the corners that have the elements. And then down here, there's gluten-free to my right if you need it. Go to whichever table is closest or looks like it's got the shortest line. Get the bread. 
get the cup, take it back to your seat, and, and ask the Lord, is there, is there anywhere that I need to acknowledge your lordship? Because he is Lord. Like, that's a reality in the universe. Is there any place that I need to acknowledge this? And I imagine, I mean, you know, I've been wrestling with this for a week. I imagine there's going to be places in your life that you recognize, oh, yeah, I, 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 I'm in charge of that. I don't want God to mess with that. Then apologize. Repent. Change your mind. Say it to him. Okay, you know what, Lord? I, I give you control of my kids. I, I give you control of my spouse. I give you control of my finances. I, whatever it is, say it to him and, and ask him to help you. Because you are. You're going to take it right back. We all do. We, we all do. He understands that. But change your mind. Say to him, yes, you are Lord. So I'm going to pray over us. And then when I'm done praying, worship team will come up. Everyone just... Go, get the elements, take them to your seat. This is totally between you and God. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you are a good and a gracious Lord. You know, you could have just said this. You could have simply said, yep, if you're gonna be my disciple, you gotta do everything my way. I have to be number one. And then you could have started ordering people around. You could have said, hey, you have to hate your life. If you're going to follow me, I have to be worth more than your life. And you could have said then to all your disciples, now go die. You go die. But instead, Lord Jesus, you went and died for them. They didn't die. You, you told the soldiers to leave them alone so that they could go away. You are a good and a gracious and a kind Lord. I pray, Jesus, for all of us who know you, is there I know there are. Where are the places in our lives where you are not Lord? Where are the places in our lives where we do not acknowledge that you come first? That we are your followers and so we follow you. And where you lead us, we'll go. Where you send us, we'll go. What you tell us to do, we'll do. Holy Spirit, for all of us who say we are your followers, we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to be like all these guys at the beginning of the story who say that, oh, yes, they revere the law and they follow the law, but, but they're not doing it. There's all these areas where they're not doing what you've told them to do. We don't want to be like that, Jesus. We want to be people who obey you, who follow you wholeheartedly because everything you say is good, because you are a kind and a generous Lord. And Jesus, I pray for anybody here, anybody listening or watching who doesn't know you. I pray that you would be gracious to them, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would know that you are a good and a gracious Lord, that you did die and you did rise from the dead. And you do offer them salvation. You do offer them a place in your kingdom as your followers if they want it. They just have to say yes. Jesus, be gracious to us. Be kind. Remember what scripture says. We're like dust. We're like flowers that pop up and then, oh, they're just gone later. You are our kind and our merciful Lord. Thank you. Holy Spirit, speak to us in this time. Speak to us as we pray. Speak to us as we worship again to close out this service. We ask all this in your name. Amen.